We read the Word of God tonight, or this afternoon, in Colossians chapter 1. A letter written by the Apostle Paul, but of course under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. To the Colossians, we're going to read the first 20 verses. You'll notice that chapter 7 speaks of a man named Epaphras. He was the pastor of the church in Colossa. And he had gone to visit the Apostle Paul in prison to encourage him, probably, partly, and also to report on how things were going at the church in Colossa. Things were going well. If you read the whole of the epistle, you will not find that the Apostle Paul has to deal with great problems like he did in the church in Corinth, especially in 1 Corinthians. But there was a group of false teachers that Epaphras had told Paul about, and I will be making reference to them towards the end of the sermon. So it's worth noting that these false teachers were Christians. In other words, they believed in Jesus Christ, but they had a doctrine that said, you need Jesus Christ for salvation, but he's not quite enough. There's more to religious experience, more to religious joy outside of Christ or in addition to Jesus Christ. And so the apostle writes this epistle to set forth the preeminence, the superiority of Christ, emphasizing if you have Christ, you have all you need. So Colossians chapter 1, this is the word of God, beginning at verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timotheus, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossa, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which ye have to all the saints, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye have heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which is come unto you as it is in all the world, and bringeth forth fruit as it doth also in you since the day ye heard of it, and knew the grace of God in truth. And ye also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ, who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers 
of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness, and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have the redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. Thus far we read the word of God. May God bless the reading of his word. The text we consider verses 16 and 17, but I want to begin by reading verse 15 here, where the apostle makes this grand statement about Jesus Christ, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. What the Apostle is doing in that verse is he's setting forth the truth about Jesus Christ. And he's not really addressing the false teachers yet, not directly. He's going to get to that in chapter 2. But he's laying the groundwork for answering this false teaching, really refuting this false teaching, that you not only need Christ, but one of the strange things that they were teaching is that you need to worship the angels. And the apostle saying, if you know that Jesus is the image of the invisible God and the firstborn of every creature, if you really understand the truth of who he is and how great he is, you're going to recognize that to say that there's something missing in Jesus is absolutely ridiculous. It's foolish. It's wrong. He's the image of the invisible God. Does that mean he's God or that he is man? And the answer is both. That he is the image of the invisible God means that Jesus Christ is the pure reflection of God. If you go to Hebrews chapter 1, he is the express image of his person or his being. That is, Adam was an image bearer of God as a human being. Jesus Christ is the image bearer of God as God. But also the one who became man that he might reveal the Father to us. That's what John 1 verse 18 teaches. The Father is invisible. No man hath seen him, but the only begotten Son, he hath declared him. Jesus is God come in the flesh, so that he may make God known to us as human beings. And then also he is the firstborn of every creature. Does that mean that he is eternal God? Or does that mean that he is, in a sense, the first creature? And the answer again is both. 
The apostles going to go on, and that's what we have here in verses 16 and 17, explain this reality that Jesus is the firstborn of every creature by saying he's the one by whom all things were made, meaning he's before all things. He is the eternal God. And yet at the same time, there's a certain sense in which Jesus is the first begotten of every creature. He is the God who's come in human flesh, and he is over all things. And so what we're supposed to see, what the apostle is showing us here is the greatness of Jesus, that he is the ruler over all things. You could even translate it that way the firstborn over every creature. Why? Well, now you have the answer in the text we consider this afternoon. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible. Whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. Let's consider what the Apostle is teaching here under the theme, Jesus, King of Creation. First of all, He is the King of Creation as its Creator. Secondly, He is the King of Creation as its Coherence. Thirdly, He is the King of Creation that's for our comfort. We begin looking at verse 16 and the three prepositional phrases by him that's at the very beginning of the verse for by him were all things created and then by him and for him that's at the very end of the verse all things were created by him and for him so in the king james just to try to keep this clear for you you have by him by him for him in the greek it's actually in him, by him, and for him. So there's a little nuance, a little distinction of meaning. All things were created in him, by him, and for him. So we start with the idea that all things were created in Jesus Christ. That might sound a little strange. Light was created in Jesus. The trees were created in Jesus. The angels, they are referred to here. The powers, this is part of the reason why worshiping angels as if they add something to Christ is ridiculous. Jesus is the one in whom the angels were created. That might sound a little bit strange to say that all of the creatures were created in Jesus, but what the apostle's meaning is, is clear. He's saying that in creating all things, God basically said this, Jesus is the reason for the existence of everything that I made. So to put it in a negative way, if there was anything that God contemplated making that wouldn't fit in Jesus, God said, I'm not going to make that. Now, we don't know if God thought that way, but we can put it positively. Anything that God made, God said, I'm only going to make this because it fits into my plan for the creation in Jesus Christ. 
So this is a grand statement that exalts Jesus Christ. He is the reason for the existence of all things in the creation of the heavens and the earth. The powers that are invisible and the powers that are visible. There are many people who will not acknowledge that their existence is in Jesus Christ. I suppose if you went to Washington, where you have all of the politicians who are wrapped up in themselves, if you would say to them, do you understand that your existence is in Jesus Christ? They would probably say no. If you go to Wall Street, you might find many people there who don't pay any attention to Jesus Christ at all. But the fact is, is that they exist in Christ Jesus. Many people are ignorant of Jesus Christ. They simply don't believe in him. Nevertheless, they exist in Christ Jesus. There are many people who are opposed to Jesus Christ. They hate him. Their lives are dedicated to being against Jesus Christ. Nevertheless, they exist in Christ Jesus. The fallen angels, Satan, all of those demons were created in Christ Jesus. And all of the wicked, whatever they do to deny Jesus Christ, cannot change this fact. They exist in Him. This is exalting to Christ and ought to be humbling to us as Christians. As I say to myself, and as you say to yourself, I am not the reason for my existence. I must not stand up, be proud, and in any way pat myself on the chest and say that I am the most important person. I was created in Christ. I should bow my knee before him. Even put my face to the ground. In humility, bowing before him, acknowledging he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. Everything that God has made, is what the apostle is saying, is somehow a tool for God to exalt Jesus Christ. So all things were created in him and then by him. He is the creator Jesus, John 1 tells us, is the word that became flesh. He is the word that in the beginning was with God and that was God. And then you go to John 1 verse 3 and John says, And nothing that was made was made without him. Now that's maybe not too clear to us or not a way that we would express it in our language, but the meaning is clear. Everything that was made was made by Jesus Christ. He is the reason we exist. God made all things in him, but he's also the power by which we exist. God made all things by him. Preaching to a congregation in West Michigan, I said Lake Michigan exists because Jesus Christ created it. Those here, it might be more fitting to say Lake Okoboji exists because the Lord Jesus Christ created it. You and I exist because the Lord Jesus Christ created us. 
The angels exist because the Lord Jesus Christ created them. And now, when the Apostle Paul speaks of all things being created by Christ, he wants us to think of the visible creation that we can see. He wants us to think of the invisible creation that we cannot see. That is, he wants us to see how all-encompassing this is, and the totality of this is mind-boggling. Think big now. There's a whole spirit world you and I can't see. The Apostle Paul says that world was created by Christ Jesus. There is a whole heavenly realm that we can see. Well, if we use telescopes, we can see it. It is so vast that astronomers to this day, though they're looking for the edge of the universe, they haven't found it yet. They don't see any walls. They don't see any boundaries. They see further and further, and they see more and more galaxies and more and more planets, billions and billions of them. And the Apostle Paul says, and all of them were made by Jesus Christ. Now think small. Not only is there a spirit realm of this creation that you and I cannot see, I don't know if this is the best way to put it, but there's a microscopic realm of creation that you and I cannot see. Microorganisms, cells, bacteria. Maybe some of you have heard of ketones, mitochondria. I've been studying this for my own reasons recently and have come across this staggering fact that within the stomach, if I can put it that way, of an individual human being, there are one trillion microorganisms. A trillion. And then if you think of all of the human beings, now take a trillion times a couple billion. And you start to understand how staggering the statement is by the Apostle Paul. Jesus Christ made it all. All things were made in Him, by Him, and for him. He's the beginning reason for the existence of every creature. He is the power of the existence of every creature. He is the end or the goal of the existence of every creature. The purpose. Now the apostle states this. You and I might not always see or understand this. But you and I must believe this and embrace this by a faith that is comforted by this and astounded by this. Jesus Christ is the purpose for everything that exists. The purpose of the creation, everything that was made by God, is to bring glory to Jesus Christ and through him 
to the triune God, God the Father. And this is absolute. The Apostle Paul is not only telling you and me, this is the way it's going to be in the end. That's a glorious thing. When Jesus comes again, and he makes all things new, you and I are going to be able to see that everything indeed exists for the glory of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. But what the Apostle is saying here is that this is the way it always is. Everything that has existed and everything that is happening in the creation is all for the glory of Jesus Christ. That's the way it will be. It's the way that it is now, and it's the way that it always was in the past. All things were created for him, for his glory. That means even when Satan, who was in the beginning created by God as a good angel, even when he rebelled against God in heaven, that was for Jesus Christ. That means even when Satan took the serpent and used the serpent in the garden to tempt Eve and through that to lead Adam and Eve to fall into sin and rebellion against God, that was for the purpose of the glory of Jesus Christ. And even when Satan stirred up Pilate and the wicked Jews to crucify the Lord Jesus Christ, that was for the glory of Jesus Christ. All the creatures in the creation made by, in and by, and for Jesus Christ can do nothing but glorify him. Now again, it is true that there are many creatures that do not want to glorify Jesus Christ. That doesn't matter. Just as you, if you would ask them and you would say to them, do you know that you were made in Jesus Christ? They would say, no, I wasn't made in Jesus Christ. I don't exist for him. And just as if when you would say to them, do you know that you were made by Jesus Christ? And they would deny that. No, I was not made by Jesus Christ. And do you realize you were made for him and that you exist for his glory? And they would say, no, I do not glorify Jesus Christ. Nevertheless, the statement of Scripture stands. No matter how much evil they do, and God will hold them accountable for the evil they do, no matter how much they oppose Jesus Christ, they exist for the glory of Christ. And all that they do is end up serving to bring Him glory. All things were made in and for and by Jesus Christ. But now the apostle adds something to that in verse 17. He says, and he is before all things. And there he is teaching the truth that Jesus Christ is eternal. He is the firstborn of every creature. And then he says, and by him all things consist. Literally, by him all things hold together. And that's basically what the word coherence refers to as the title of the second point. Jesus is the coherence. He is the one who is holding everything in the creation together. Some might even say he's the glue. Another thing that I can say here, some of you maybe had Mr. Leroy Feenstra as your teacher at Western Christian, and this is one of his favorite passages, and he would often say that. 
Jesus is the glue of all things. And that's what the apostle is saying here, basically. He's the one who upholds all things. And what he's teaching, first of all, then, is that Jesus is the one who has the power to continue to uphold the existence of all things and is now governing the existence of all things. And that's another astounding power. I know that the distinction here might be subtle, but understand that there is one power to be able to create everything, the billions and trillions of creatures that there are in the world. But it's another power to be able, from moment to moment, to keep those creatures in existence. It's amazing. It's work just to make something. You know that. But when you and I make something, it doesn't depend upon us for its continued existence. But that's the way it is with Jesus Christ. He must exercise the power to keep all of the things that he made in existence. And then there's another power that he exercises. To govern. To move. To control everything that he made. He is the one who holds all things together. Think about Jesus' ministry for a moment and the power that he has over the creation. You remember his first miracle? He turned water into wine. Now, it's not wrong for us to be astounded at the miracles of Jesus Christ. What a power. That he was able to say, pour out this water, and when that water was poured out, it became wine. But what is wrong for us is that we don't make as much as we ought to about the fact that Jesus Christ is the one who always makes wine. Not necessarily in that miraculous of a fashion, turning water immediately into wine, but he is the one who causes the grapes to grow. He is the one who sends the rain and the sunshine. He is the one who upholds all of the creation so that wine can be made. Or think about when Jesus made the bread. Out of seven loaves, out of five loaves, he did it more than once. It's not wrong for us to be astounded by the fact that Jesus Christ could pull apart bread and create more bread instantly. But what's probably more of the problem for us is that we don't recognize how amazing it is that he is the one who is constantly making bread. He is the one, again, who sends the rain and the sunshine, who causes the wheat to grow, and who causes all of the creatures that go into making bread to exist. And then we remember when he cast out demons. And the people were stunned by that. Who is this man who's able to speak to the demons, telling them to leave, and they listen to him? But what we ought to be amazed by is the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ is constantly exercising power over Satan and over all of the demons. He is the one who is holding all things together, controlling all things. Things. The power of our Lord Jesus Christ is amazing. 
I don't use references to movies in my preaching. That's done in the churches in a way that I think often is not proper and not actually glorifying to the Lord Jesus Christ. Years and years ago, I remember being in a church where the pastor compared Jesus Christ to a superhero. And in my mind, that doesn't magnify the greatness of Jesus Christ. That tarnishes the greatness of the Lord Jesus Christ. But I think that this point can be made. That the people of this world are looking for a superhero. And that people recognize the brokenness, the fallenness of the human race, the brokenness, the fallenness of this creation. And that people are looking for some hope. Who is going to be the hope of humanity? Who is really even going to be the hope of the whole cosmos, the universe? We need some superhero. So man, with his limited imagination, thinks if only we could have a superhero who can go faster than a speeding bullet or a speeding train. If only we had a superhero who could leap over tall buildings or over mountains. And the point that I'm making here is that whatever man tries to imagine as the hope of humanity or of the creation falls far short of the reality of the man, Jesus Christ, who is also God, that God has supplied for the salvation of the church and for the rule over the whole creation. He's not the one who can go faster than a speeding bullet. He's the one upon whom the bullet and everything that goes into making that bullet and everything that goes into moving that bullet, it all depends upon him. Not just a man who could move mountains, although he did talk about that. But he made the mountains. And he upholds the mountains. And the mountains, from moment to moment, depend upon him for their existence. There's no one comparable to the Lord Jesus Christ and no human who could imagine anyone as great as the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one that God reveals to us in his scriptures and has sent forth to us to be our Lord and our Savior. As I was preparing In the preparation for making this sermon, I did a little looking into Adams. A-T-O-M-S. And was alerted to the fact that these atoms, which make up everything, have a nucleus with neutrons and protons. Some of you might know more, far more about this than me, and some of you might be thinking, this is already too detailed for me. But the point is, is that even the most brilliant scientists in the world do not understand what holds the nucleus of atoms together. And maybe I'm oversimplifying here, but I think you can all understand this. If you have a magnet 
with two positive sides and you try to put them together, what happens is they push each other apart. And what scientists don't understand is why these atoms with these protons don't fly apart. Yes, there is a, the force of gravity that seems to have some power in holding things together. And then there's the force of the electromagnetic field that seems to be holding some things together. And yet, if you ask scientists, what is it that holds an atom together? They will say, well, we don't really know what it is, but we have a name for it. And they actually do. They have a name for it. They call it strong force. There's some, this is all that they can say, there's some strong, powerful force that is holding the atoms together. And that means holding everything in the universe together. Now, I don't know if someday the scientists, as they study this more, will come up with a new power like gravity or the electromagnetic field. Maybe they will. But the point is that if you ask us as Christians, do you know of a strong force or power that is holding all things in the universe together? We point to Colossians 1 verse 17 and say, yes, that's the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who is before all things, and by him all things consist. All things hold together. So that, first of all, he is the one who's upholding and governing all things. But now what the apostle is meaning to teach you and me is that in Jesus Christ, all things are united and have the purpose of glorifying him and his father in heaven. This is another one of those grand statements that you and I really cannot understand. We cannot comprehend this, but this is what the scriptures is telling us to take hold of by faith. The maple trees were made by Christ and continue to be used by him for his purpose. The whole universe Whatever is happening in Australia, whatever is happening in China, whatever is happening in the heavens, whatever is happening in the spirit world, what the apostle is saying, Jesus Christ is holding it all together so that it will all work together for your and my good, but also for his grand cosmic purposes. You and I, barely know anything about what's going on in the world. When you think about it, we know what's going on in Hull today. But what's going on in all of the rest of the towns in Iowa? What's going on in other states? What's going on in other countries? All kinds of things are happening. And to you and me, None of them seem to be related. None of them seem to have anything to do with our lives. The Apostle says, no. Absolutely everything that's happening and has been happening in the universe 
is governed by Jesus Christ for a united purpose, for the advancement of his kingdom and the glory of his name. And so, though the Apostle Paul doesn't say anything explicitly about the comfort for us, we can understand implicitly what the comfort is. First of all, this is for the assurance of our salvation. This section where the Apostle is showing us the glory of Jesus Christ is the one in whom and for whom and by whom all things were made and in whom all things consist goes back to what the Apostle has to say in verses 12 through 14 where he talks about the fact that the Father has made us qualified to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. He's delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son. In him we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Redemption and creation go together. And there are many things that could be said about this, but I think the point that needs to be highlighted here in this context is that when you ask the question, does Jesus Christ have the power to redeem me? Does he have the power to deliver me from sin? Does he have the power to give to me eternal life? The answer is when you know that he is the one who has made all things and who upholds all things, you know he is the one who has the power to redeem you. This is also very practical for our comfort and joy in the experience of salvation. When you live as a Christian, as a human being, in the creation, you are living and walking with King Jesus Christ. All of life, in other words, is spiritual. For the Christian, there really isn't this secular realm and then this sacred realm of my life. And I hope that you can understand how this is the apostle saying to Christians in a very comforting way. This idea that you need a mystical experience apart from Christ, this idea that you need to do something beyond the ordinary to really have religious joy and experience. It's not true. Jesus Christ is the king of all creation. So that when you as a Christian are dealing with business or finance or money, you're serving Jesus Christ. When you're eating or you're drinking, you're doing that to the glory of Jesus Christ, as the apostle says in Corinthians. When you go to work, when you're engaging in ordinary earthly relationships, you are engaging in the creation under King Jesus Christ. So that means as you live an ordinary earthly life in marriage, in your home, in work, in play, in a spiritual manner, every day you're praying, Every day you're dedicating yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ. Every day you're living in faith. You're living under King Jesus. 
So don't ever let anyone in the church or outside of the church make you think that in your ordinary life as a Christian, you're missing out on something. No. This is a high and a sacred calling that you have as a Christian to recognize that the whole of the creation belongs to Christ, is under Christ, and that's where you live, for him and for his glory. Amen. Father in heaven, we bow before thee in the name of Jesus Christ, our King. Grant unto us faith that we may be able, everywhere we go in this creation, to see his power, to see his rule, to see his presence as our shepherd, caring for us, guiding us, working all things for our good. And Lord, as we go through this life, and sometimes because of trials, difficulties, begin to think that there's no purpose. Things are happening maybe even for a bad reason. Give unto us the faith that confesses that all things happen for the glory of Jesus Christ and because he has been pleased to unite himself to us so that he is in us and we are in him. May we be assured that all things happen for our glory too. We pray, O Lord, that thou bless us then in our walk of life here upon this earth. Keep us from being earthly minded, but grant that we may live all of our life here on this earth to the glory of our head and our King, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.